0: Alrighty, hey guys, this is Justin, and in this video I want to talk about uh the question of whether or not the saints and the angels can actually hear us and whether or not they are intercessors for us, whether they're not they can they can intercede for us uh before the throne of God, uh before Christ, in Christ, uh, etc. And this is a question that comes up a lot on a lot of the message boards that I am active on. A lot of people think that prayers to the saints, uh, is useless. People will say, well, they, they can't hear you cause they're dead. Um, people will say things, uh, like, you know, why, why go to the saints at all when you could just go to, uh, Jesus, you know, straight to Jesus, straight to God, you know, what is even the point? And I want to talk more today about just the question of whether or not it even makes sense to pray to the saints, whether or not they can hear us. But I do think it's important to tackle the question, um, that I often here. So I'm going to begin with that one. And it's the question of the mediatorship of Christ. I'm using a Google slide for the first time. Uh, I actually put most of this together on my phone. So if you liked it and it looks really good, uh, let me know down below. Um, this is all in Google slides on my phone while I was watching my kids playing the bike, uh, playing on their bike. So it was a good time. <laughs> and, uh, obviously if you enjoy what I'm doing, feel free to uh, hit that like button down there. Uh, it's a really magical like button. I, I have a really cool arrangement with Google where every time you click it, uh, it works only once per video, but when you click it, it makes the top total likes on the video go up by one. Also, uh, the subscribe button, it works very, very similar. If you're not already subscribed to this channel and you hit it, it'll also make that subscriber count go up by one. It's mind-blowing technology, I know, but if you're not subscribed, if you haven't liked the video, go ahead and do it. Anyway, so let's talk about uh, the mediatorship of Christ. And I'm gonna go ahead and try and make my way through Google Slides here. There we go. I don't know if these autoplay, oh, they're gonna autoplay, okay. (laughs) You have to bear with me. I, I've never used Google Slides before, but I liked the way they, they turned out. Okay, so the mediatorship uh, claim is this. This comes from uh, 1 Timothy 2. It's a famous passage. Uh, Paul writes, There's one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus. And so the claim goes, anytime you ask someone, especially the saints, uh, for anything in prayer, if you are praying to the saints, you are making them a false mediator between you and God, um, because you're, you're having them basically usurp the role of Jesus Christ. And I totally understand where this is coming from. And I think there's a, there's a couple of hangups here that I'll probably address really briefly. One of them being just the very idea of, of the, the word pray. It's an older English uh, phrase and the word pray just means to ask, right? So when we pray to the saints, uh, if it makes better sense to you, anytime you hear somebody say pray to the saints, um, if it makes better sense, just say, ask of the saints to pray for you, ask of the saints to intercede for you. And hopefully that'll make that uh, make more sense. Um, but here's the issue with this very passage. And then it's, it's, it's ripped out of context because um, if you just go back a few verses, as we're going to do right here, uh, you'll see the full context of what Paul says. And literally in the same, what would be the same breath, if you were reading this out loud, he says this, first of all, I then urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. This is good and it is acceptable. In the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So listen to that wording. Right. Listen to what he says right there. He is telling us to pray for other people uh, and not just, not just, you know, other Christians. He's saying pray for everybody, right? Pray for Kings and all people who are in high positions. And that can be high positions in the church. That can be the, the clergy, the bishops, the, the priests, the deacons, uh, those who have a leading role in the church, but it can also be secular leaders, right? We should pray for uh, former president Obama back when he was president. I would pray for him pretty regularly. I pray for president Trump. I didn't vote for either of those guys. Uh, you don't need to know the whole history of my politics. (laughs) but I didn't vote for either of them Uh, and I do try to keep both of them uh, in my prayer because God wills the salvation of all God desires uh, or or desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth right and of course so what is the truth the truth is Jesus he comes to give us the truth and the truth will set us free Uh, nobody could do it in the way that Jesus does it and so he is the mediator between God and man he is the mediator of the New Covenant and in no way does our intercession uh, take away from that mediatorship of Christ, but in fact, only because we are in the body, we are one in the body of Christ, uh, and He is the mediator. We are in a sense able to be subordinate mediators, or a better word for that would be intercessors, right? And this just makes sense because Paul is telling us to do this here; he does it in other places as well we know we're supposed to pray for each other now here's the really weird part we know that god knows what we need even before we know what we need uh he knows what we need before we ask so i mean the the real objection i've heard a lot of people make including atheists will say well why pray at all right what is the point of prayer if god knows what you need even before you need it you know He knows what you need before you ask. You shouldn't even have to ask. You should just give you the stuff that you need. And the thing is, well, we have obviously a a scriptural model for this concept. So clearly there's something to the model. Um, But I think part of it is understanding that prayer is a way of knitting together more fully the body of christ it encourages us to live as though we are one in the body of christ and that's a very important thing um but clearly uh intercessory prayers are okay which is why uh, most people when they come up with this objection the very first thing i'll do it's a little underhanded uh but i'll say this and say listen i'm i'm catholic and i'm catholic because i believe it's true but I, honestly i'm committed to the truth no matter what and uh, you know if, if if the truth is not the Catholic faith, I want to know, and that's a true statement, right? This isn't underhand at all really. Um, <laughs> I, I want to know what the truth is and I'll follow the truth wherever I think it is, but I'm fairly sure it's the Catholic Church. So I would say this, um, you know, will you pray for me that I might know the truth, even if that truth is outside of the Catholic Church, I want to know what it is. would you would you pray for me? And when they say, well, of course I'd do that and I say, well, but why? Did, did I just did I just insult Jesus by asking you to pray for me? Uh, 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 what? <laughs> you know, well, I just made you an intercessor, right? I just I just asked you to pray for me. Uh, but there's only one mediator Jesus shouldn't I have just gone to Jesus for that? Well, yeah, but and, and that's the issue, right? Clearly intercessory prayer is a Catholic, a Christian concept. Um, in fact, I want to stop saying the word Catholic, although I love the word Catholic. I think it's absolutely, uh, described the church to a T. Uh, it is the faith, those called out the, according to the whole, the universal church, right? Uh, it is the, the picture of the church is the word that the church itself called. Um, but it's also the Christian church and it was for over 1500 years and Christians, just a slightly more generic term. And once we had the reformation and all these groups splitting off, the only thing they could agree on is they followed Christ. So they kind of usurped the word Christian and said, well, we're Christian. There's a really great channel here on YouTube called how to be Christian. Uh, highly recommend his stuff. Uh, very funny. Uh, the guy who runs his name is Ferris. And, uh, if I was half as funny as he was, I would be, uh way funnier than i than i am uh but he does really really great work really really great uh visuals and everything else um so highly recommend his channel but he, the thing he he does is he just says you know this is we're gonna look at a debate and it's christian versus protestant whereas no he's a catholic versus protestant you know i think he does a really good job of reframing it so i'm going to try on this channel as often as i can uh to to make sure i'm framing things correctly because catholic is christian christian is catholic and anything that separates from that is a man-made tradition and we're going to see that the belief that the saints can't hear us and can't intercede for us is a man-made tradition that's not even you know barely 500 years old um and so that's the position i want to present to you today so we clearly see that the idea that jesus is the one mediator in no way means we can't ask each other to intercede for us so then the question just becomes well Okay, great. What about the saints, right? What about those in, in heaven? What about those who've gone before us? Can they hear us? And the answer is yes. So, first consider the statement that Jesus gives to the Sadducees. I love this passage from Mark 12. It says this the Sadducees came to him, uh, and they say uh, they're the ones that say that there's no resurrection. And as I've said before, you can remember that because the Sadducees denied the resurrection, and that's Sadducee. Get it? Sunday school. (laughs) Sunday school rhymes. Uh, So the Sadducees come to Jesus who say there's no resurrection. And they ask him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, uh, but leaves no child, then the man must take up the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife. And when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And likewise, the third and all, all seven of them left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. I'm kind of in the way down here of the uh, the image, move myself out. This is a great question. And it's easy to think of the Sadducees like the bad guys or whatever. But honestly, this is a real uh, tension point uh, inside of uh uh, this this notion of the resurrection. Now, the Sadducees are really unique for a couple of reasons. A, um, they denied the resurrection. B, they only accepted the five books of Moses, the Torah. So they didn't accept books like Daniel that have very, very clear allusions to uh, to, to the resurrection. And they're they're saying, they're actually bringing Jesus to two uh, charges here. And I've pointed this out in another video. I'm going to say it here as well. Um, this story of the seven brothers, uh, each one taking a wife and then dies, and the next one dies, the next one dies. This is the story of Tobit, which is one of the books that we Catholics still have in our Bible. It's been there ever since the very first Canon of the scriptures was written um, or was, was, was determined, was, was infallibly pronounced, however you want to look at it. Um, And it was one of the books that Martin Luther uh, first threw out or, you know, moved to the back and it was subsequently uh removed from the bible but this is definitely a book that the sadducees wouldn't have recognized either um they had a very very tiny canon against just the five books of moses the torah and so they're bringing him a challenge that is the root of this book they don't accept and of course they don't accept the, the, the resurrection either and so they bring him the the challenge from tobit and it makes sense right if marriage is a lasting institution then in the resurrection then that woman would be you know she would have five husbands or seven husbands um and so it sets up this really weird idea of, of polyandry. And of course, Jesus winds up answering them and saying, in the in the, in the resurrection, people are neither given, uh, they're not given a marriage the way that the the sons of man are in this age. Is basically what his answer is. So he he overturns their question by saying they just don't even understand the concept uh, of the resurrection. Here he says, uh, Jesus says to them, "This is not the reason you are wrong because you knew you know." Sorry is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god for when they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage but like angels they're like angels in heaven and as for the dead being raised have you not read in the book of moses the passage about the bush and how god spoke to him saying i am the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob he is not the god of the dead but of the living you are quite wrong so jesus is actually pronouncing abraham isaac and jacob as living. And he's using uh, a text that they would have accepted. So this is like when Paul says, I become all things to all people, right? Uh, This is the reason why when I'm having a discussion about purgatory, I don't even bring up Maccabees, you know, uh, books that a Protestant won't accept, except maybe as a way of giving some, you know, uh, it's like the sprinkles on top of the Sunday, so to speak, right? Um, But in general, I don't lean on those because I just know they're not going to accept the authority. And so Jesus understands that they're not going to accept the authority of a book like Daniel. Daniel says this in Daniel 12 too, uh, and many of those who sleep in and the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt so daniel has some very clear allusions uh, to the resurrection uh, that was forthcoming i'll move myself away because i might have to pause here in a second um but so jesus is clearly saying uh that those who've gone before us um he's talking about in the books of moses he's talking about the great patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob um that they are not dead but they are living. So Jesus is very adamant here that we should consider them as part of the living in some real sense. We'll dig a little bit more into that here in just a minute. Okay, you say, so they're living, but that doesn't make them aware of us, right? Consider the following. First off, uh, from the book of Revelation, uh, there's a number of passages that we see here that indicate that those who are beyond this world are aware of what's going on in the earth. Uh, Revelation. 6, 9 and 10 says this, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before thou wilt judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? So they are very much aware that this has not happened yet. They are existing in some capacity uh, in time. Right, and then they're given robes of white and told to wait, and you know, before long the the hour will come. Um, but clearly, uh, these people, these martyrs, are in heaven and they are conscious; they are aware uh, that the final end of justice has not yet happened. And then, of course, we have uh, a very often cited passage by us Catholics, and it's in Revelation five. But it's utterly, utterly clear uh, that those in heaven not only are aware of us, but are able to present our prayers to God. We read this about these twenty four elders in heaven, uh, Revelation five eight. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. That's where we get that imagery of being in heaven with a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And it rises up to God uh, as an incense offering. And interestingly, we actually see the angels doing something very, very similar. uh, in revelation eight, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, And he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the, hand of God, or sorry, from the hand of the angel before God. So it seems to be uh, the angel is also in some capacity offering prayers or offering something along with uh, the prayers of the saints. And most of the time, in the New Testament, the word saints uh, itself actually means those alive on earth. And again, this is still early in revelation before all of the end stuff uh, winds up happening. And so these are the elders who are in heaven presenting the prayers of the faithful to God. So clearly we have this idea uh, innate in scripture of the, the angels and the saints presenting our prayers, but we can go a lot deeper than that uh psalm 148 this is just the first couple of verses of it you know praise the lord praise the lord from the heavens praise him in the highest above on the heights above praise him all his angels praise him all his heavenly hosts so this is a prayer uh this is a psalm this is one of those things that's said repeatedly this was uh, the worship songs of, of of the jewish people these are these are prayed constantly by the christians actually the liturgy of the hours that's prayed by most monks is, uh, basically working its way through the Psalms, you know, once a week or, or once every four weeks, depending upon the cycle that they use. Um, but literally it's, it's, it's calling upon the angels and all of the heavenly host to praise God alongside with the, the reader of the Psalm or, or of the, or the Psalmist. Right. Uh, and of course, Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12, Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame of the old Testament. It concludes in Hebrews 12, uh, with this passage, therefore. Since we, have, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. We are surrounded. All of these Old Testament patriarchs are a great cloud of witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They witness. And that's why Jesus says in Luke fifteen seven that there is more joy in heaven over the repenting of one sinner than over all the righteous people on earth because they're aware uh, Jeremiah 15. A lot of people are really surprised when they encounter this. They've never read this before. Um, but Jeremiah presents um, Moses and Samuel standing before the Lord and interceding for Israel. Now, in this situation, um, they are actually not successful. Uh, the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. It's unclear whether or not this is actually happening, depending upon how you want to read the text. It could be just a conditional statement if Moses and Samuel were standing before. For me um i wouldn't uh, turn against these people but nevertheless it presents the concept of two different patriarchs separated by a long span of time together interceding right there's no way that could happen in the mortal time because of the time difference between when Moses lived and when Samuel lived was hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So this very concept tells you that this is the idea of them together, petitioning God. And that would have to be happening after the fact. Um, now we do see one place where something really weird happens. This is from 1 Samuel 28, uh, 15. This is called the Witch of Endor. I always have an easy time remembering that because uh, you know, Endor is a Star Wars reference. <laughs> um, and, and the long version of this or the short version of this, actually, hang on a second. So the short version of this is Saul is having a bad time, <laughs> and he is not able to understand what's going on, uh, why everything is failing around him. And you know, he, he did what the Lord said at one point, He he outlaws witchcraft, uh, including necromancy, which is forbidden, uh, in the the books of Moses. And at one point he seeks out a witch, the witch of Endor. And she is a necromancer. She's able to call up Samuel. And what's really interesting is, is it works, right? She actually calls up the real Samuel. And it says this Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? So Samuel is able to be called up from now. He chides Saul. It's clearly it's the, the text presents this as really being Samuel, which is such a, it's a, it's a puzzling passage in a lot of ways, but the text presents this as really being Samuel, uh, being made aware being called up and, and, and being forced to, to speak in a face-to-face fashion, uh, with Saul. And he basically chides him and says, your kingdom is gone. It's gonna be taken away from you. All of that stuff. Right. Um, but so here we see again, Samuel is very much alive and aware. Of uh of what's going on and be able to he's being being able to be made even more aware through some sort of occult power. Now, this is the stuff that is forbidden. We're not supposed to try and talk to the saints in the sense of like making them come and talk to us physically. Um, that is forbidden. But simply asking for prayers from those who've gone before us is a categorically different thing. Uh Mark chapter nine, we see this as well. Um after six days, uh, Jesus took him, uh, took with him Peter and James and John, and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his garments became glistening, intensely white as no fuller on the earth could bleach them. And they were appeared to them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. So here's a big surprise. But Elijah and Moses are alive, and they're talking to Jesus again. God is the God of the living and not the dead. Now, a lot of uses is, is a unique case because of course, uh, he was taken up to heaven. I actually have that verse in here in a, in a minute. We'll come back to that. But, um, this is also interesting. So Jesus himself gives us a parable and in that parable, it's a story of Lazarus and the rich man. Now people always call it a parable. I don't actually know if it is or not because a parable usually is just a story for instructional teaching. This is the only parable. If it is a parable that Jesus gives where he has a named protagonist, they call it a protagonist. And of course, it's the name of somebody that he knew a friend of his, uh, Lazarus and his name of somebody who actually died and came back to the dead. And that's like the, uh, that's the gist of the whole piece so this might be a little more than just a parable but we read this there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day and, and sorry, i skip a couple lines here just for abbreviating the poor man lazarus was died and was carried by the angels to abraham's bosom but the rich man also died and was buried and was buried and in hades uh the bad place so abraham's bosom is the is Sheol, the, the, the abode of the dead and it's kind of divided into two places the good side and the bad side the good place and the bad place um and the good place is abraham's bosom the bad place is hades and so it's just barred greek term uh in hades he's being tormented he lifts up his eyes he sees abraham far off and also lazarus in his bosom and he calls out father abraham have mercy upon me oops uh, and Father Abraham quickly rebuked him and said, you can't pray to the dead. Oh, wait, no, that's not in there. <laughs> so here we see in the parable that Jesus himself is teaching, where he uses the phrase Father Abraham. I thought you're supposed to call no man father. Uh, you know, he uses the phrase Father Abraham, but here we see uh, Devas or whatever, the the rich man in Uh, In Hades and he calls out to father Abraham now in this case father Abraham says um, I'm not able to intercede because there's an infinite chasm between you over there in the bad place and me over here in the good place Uh, but clearly he's aware of what's going on and then uh, the rich man actually uh, begs for intercession for his brothers who are still alive on the world so he's aware of his brothers being alive in the world and Headed the direction that he's going Um, Now where this actually is again. This is this is shale. This isn't heaven or hell and it's very possible that he was given some other path to forgiveness um, at the at the resurrection we know that Jesus when he dies in first Peter uh, 3 I didn't even put that passage in here um, but he descends into uh, the another world and actually maybe I did put that in here shoot <laughs> he preaches to the spirits who are in prison the ones who were disobedient in the days of Noah you can't preach uh, to spirits if they can't listen uh, and so they again have an acute Awareness. Um, in Matthew, we read this, and this is actually really interesting. So, Jesus, uh, about the ninth hour, he's on the cross, he's dying. Uh, Jesus cries aloud in a voice, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Uh, which is Aramaic, and in Aramaic it basically means "My God, My God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me?" Which is the opening line of Psalm 22. Um, and then we see that some of the bystanders heard it and said, "This man is calling on Elijah." And then another verse later, uh, others said, "Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him." So there was actually a common belief that you could call upon someone like Elijah, um, and he would hear you and and potentially be able to save you, or at least they were open to the possibility. They didn't just rule it out and and mock him for doing. He's it. like, "Well." If he's going to call on Elijah, let's see what happens. Remember earlier, people asked who the Son of Man is, and some like, well, some say that you're, you know, uh, John the Baptist or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Um, so clearly, there was this kind of weird nebulous understanding that the dead could have some interplay uh, with the living. Um, and here's that passage from Kings, this is Elijah, uh, who we see at the um, transfiguration along with Moses, um, and they were still off and they talked and behold, a chariot of fire and horses came uh, and separated the two of them and Elijah went up to heaven by a whirlwind. So so Elijah seems to have been assumed in heaven in a very unique way, possibly akin to um, Enoch, who we see back in Genesis, um, who is he's a unique in a chain of being. Where we're told somebody so lived so many years, fathered so many children, then he died, then he died, then he died, and then he died. And we get to Enoch's, and then Enoch found favor with God and Enoch walked with God rather than. Uh, And he died. So there's kind of a weird story there. And then of course, as Catholics, we firmly believe that Mary was assumed into heaven at the end of her life, whether she uh, died or fell asleep or just was assumed. We're not quite sure. Um, But this was a constant teaching of the church. I'm not going to talk about it here. I might do a whole video on that. I have a video on Mary stuff already where we do talk about this. Uh, It's a longer video, um, but you might find that instructive. But here we see Elijah being taken alive into heaven, which is why it would make sense for Christians, uh, and, 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 or for Jewish people, uh, onlookers, bystanders, to hear him saying that, mishearing Aloy, Aloy, and thinking he's saying Elijah, Elijah, uh, calling out for Elijah, and thinking that he's calling out for, um, Elijah. Um, and then we have the witness for the early Christians, and this is fascinating stuff, right? The early Christians inscriptions on tombs are replete with examples of um, people asking, this is the martyr church, the first couple hundred years of Christianity, uh, asking for a couple of things. The newest places we can find um, in in uh, inscriptions, I have a mistype here, inscriptions, we can find inscriptions on the tombs and catacombs, both praying for the dead and asking for prayers from on, on behalf of the dead. You'll see things like, pray for me before the judgment seat of Christ, dear dear brother, dear sister, whatever it happens to be. Interestingly, we have many different instances of this, and we have zero instances of anybody raising an objection to it. So here's a couple of quotes just from the early church, um, from the first couple hundred years. This is pre-Constantine stuff here. Um... Oh, and actually, no, before you do that, there's, here's even one more uh, talking about people uh, shoot, I think I switched these slides up, but this one should have gone with Elijah um, because we see when Jesus dies, uh, Jesus died, cried aloud again, and with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. So a lot of people miss this. It's like a tiny little passage, just like, like two verses at the end of Matthew's gospel. But when Jesus dies, the beginning of the resurrection happens. Uh, And the bodies of the saints, the the holy ones, appear uh, before everyone and they don't just like go back to the grave and, you know, rot. Um, They probably are also assumed into heaven. So we have many of these saints who appeared to many people who are now alive in Christ. Um, So here is some of the early Christian stuff. Sorry for getting these two slides out of order um this is from probably philo and agathopus uh, <laughs> agathopus uh who were followers of, of ignatius ignatius was the bishop of antioch um he was uh ordained by St. John, uh, and he was made the Bishop of Antioch by St. Peter. So he knew the original apostles. And here we see, um, this is from the martyrdom of Ignatius. After the death of Ignatius and in a dream, some of us saw the blessed Ignatius suddenly standing by us and embracing us while others beheld him again, praying for us. And others still saw him dropping with sweat as if he had just come from his great labor, standing By the Lord. So they're seeing the dead Ignatius, the the now alive in Christ Ignatius, praying for them. Uh, Hippolytus Rome says, speaking of the three youths in the fire in Daniel 30, uh, tell me, you three boys, remember me, I entreat you, that I may also obtain the same lot of martyrdom with you. So he's actually calling out to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Clement of Alexandria in 208 writes uh, in this way is he, the true Christian, always pure for prayer. He also prays in the society of angels as being already of angelic rank. He is never out of their holy keeping. And though he prays alone, he has a choir of the saints standing with him in prayer um again this is a common christian belief uh here's one that really hackles uh gets gets the hackles raising on some people this is from john Ryan's papyrus this is about 250 a.d in egypt Uh, a prayer to the theotokos which is a a greek term for mary the god bearer uh, the mother of god beneath your compassion we take refuge theotokos our petitions do not despise in our time of trouble, is it basically a prayer? And in the midst of the prayer, uh, they're asking Mary to keep them in prayer. Cyprian of Carthage in 253 AD writes this Let us remember one another in concord and in unanimity. Let us on both sides of death always pray. Oops, I'm giving away the punchline here. Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Let us remember one another in concord and unanimity. Let us on both sides of death always pray for one another let us relieve burdens and afflictions by mutual love that if one of us by the swiftness of our of divine condescension uh condescension shall go henceforth or hence first if one of us dies first our love may continue in the presence of the lord and our prayers for our brethren and sisters not cease in the presence of the father's mercy so this is basically a prayer that hey brothers one of us is going to die before the others and when you die pray for us before the father's presence and pray for us uh, in the presence of the Father for mercy, basically. So the practical upshot of this is this. This is utterly, utterly Christian and biblical. If you deny the concept that the saints are aware of us, that the saints can pray for us, that the body of Christ is one, then you're denying this biblical truth, this historical Christian truth based on what is actually a man-made teaching, a man-made tradition of less than 500 years old. This dates from the the, the Reformation, and even some of the Reformers held to the belief that the saints uh, could hear us intercede for us, but quickly uh, that kind of fell by the wayside as the waters of theology got murkier and murkier, and, and Protestantism split into many, many different segments, so anyway, that's just what I wanted to say about this I hope that all makes sense to you guys uh, it doesn't have to be a super, super long video, but uh, the simple point is, prayer to the saints utterly biblical, uh, we know they're alive, we know that they're living, we know they're aware of us, we have so many scriptural verses, including verses, calling on them to pray with us showing them interceding for us uh showing them presenting our prayers to god Um, it's just it's everywhere we have the the witness of the early christian church um which was completely unanimous um anytime you see reference to to prayers to the saints it's in favor there's not a single reference not one that you can find anywhere in the first probably thousand years of Christianity. I haven't done that far of a survey, at least the first two, three, four, five hundred 500 years of Christianity, where anybody is raising an objection to the idea of prayer to the saints. So um, it is utterly biblical. It is utterly Christian. And if you deny this, it's because you're following a man-made teaching, a Protestant teaching that diverges from the one true Christian that is Catholic church. I'm Justin West. Thank you for taking the time to watch this video. Again, if you have any questions, feel free to write them down below. Uh, if you like this video, give me a like. Uh, If you like this format, let me know. It wasn't super difficult to do. It did take a little more time than just, you know, pulling up some Bible verses and reading through them. Um, But I liked it. I think it turned out really nicely as well. Uh, Obviously, again, if you're not subscribed, feel free to uh, subscribe to my channel. And that being the case. God bless you. Hope you're having a happy Easter season and uh, see you around.